Welcome back, everyone, to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is wonderful to have you along with us, whether you are deciding to listen on your favourite podcast app or you're just watching us on YouTube or listening on YouTube. I do a lot of that uh, these days. Uh, I'm welcoming one person to the Third Space studio with me. It's Tim. Hello. Hey, Joel. Hello. <laughs> you left rather abruptly from the last episode. I did. Yeah, apologies for that. <laughs> That's all right. And this time... Uh, we just decided we won't have Stu. Yeah, make up for lost time. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, you said you're already well. That's good. Uh, we start every episode with a cultural artifact or a, a movie or a, even a podcast or something that like is on our mind. And uh, you've got one for us called High Ground. High is, Ground. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. So this is a 2020 um, Indigenous Australian film that came out. Um, it's It's been called a Meat Pie Western. Meat so, pie western? Well, you know how you have spaghetti westerns, which oh. are like the Italian westerns? This is a, an Australian western. <laughs> and so it's got a lot of those tropes of, um, uh, yeah, the western, kind of classic western movies, but it's set um, in post-World War II, I think it is, post-World War II. Oh, sorry, post-World War I, um, right. Northern Territory, up in Arnhem Land. Okay. And so uh, there's the interactions that happen between... Um, the indigenous uh, crew there and the white settlers, the mission, you've got um, stockmen who are, you know, and a whole lot of violence issues, quite a violent film actually. Mm. Um, but the thing that was in my mind when I first watched it was I really liked the opening scene. The opening scene, you start with this uh, young indigenous kid who is getting himself ready for the hunt. And so he's... Um, painting himself up with the, the white paint. To, so um, I presume it's a camouflage. Um, but, yeah, he's getting himself ready for that. Um, almost too much on it. And then he goes out with his weapons and he's hunting. And then you, you cut to he's got some uncles who are also um, hunting the same wallaby. And he basically stuffs up the hunt by going too early or making some sound. And they, they come in and give him a little bit of a reprimand. But also... Uh, helping walk alongside him and coach him and say, oh, here's, here's where you went wrong, here's why it didn't work, um, why are you out here in the first place, you should be here. Like They had this big conversation that goes around it. But what I, struck me when I first watched it was I really liked the, the relationship that exists there and you've got a, um, a particular unique cultural setting that have cultural values and practices that they want to pass on to the next generation. Mm. You've got the next generation who is seeking to put those practices and values into place, uh, doing it less than perfectly. Um, and then you've got the older crew who come along side and continue to help in that coaching process and, and say, okay, well, here's what we can learn from that. Here's what we can do better. Um, and I really like that because it was on my mind when I watched this film that that is kind of what we're doing in churches in terms of we have um, particular cultural things, we have particular values, we have particular beliefs and our hope um, for the kids, you know, our own kids, um, but also for all the kids in our church mm. is that they grow up to uh, own those values for themselves, to know what we believe and to love what we believe and to believe it for themselves, to own our cultural practices and put it into practice themselves and through that also to be shaping the way that we do church as well and that's a whole shock absorber idea that we're listening to the young people and they can help shape the way we do things. So there's this dynamic relationship between the old and the young um, as we go forward in um, culturally distinct kind of ways. Mm. And so that was kind of on my mind and we're talking today um, about children's ministry and intergenerational ministry and I just thought that, that movie is often stuck in my mind as a, 
not a church faith version, but a nice version of here is cultural values and practices being passed on to the next generation um, and really, really lovely interaction mm. in the way that that's done. Yeah, I like it how you call it a dynamic relationship because that's what we we try to practice here at Soil Revival and, and you say, and, and we hopefully, we try to say it as a, a staff team as well, is that we see the children in our church, not just the church of tomorrow, but the church of today. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Did I say that right? The the... Yes, you, the, the church of today, not just the church of tomorrow. Yeah, so yeah, okay. I've got right. it the wrong way around. No, that's <laughs> all right. But yeah, no, that's absolutely what we want to do. Mm. And um, there's an a anthropologist whose work um, I bounce off quite a bit called Barbara Rogoff, and she talks about the important... She talks about participants in a culture, um, and she likes that word more than members because a participant is someone who is acting into the culture, being shaped by the culture, but also shaping culture. Yeah. So it is this reciprocal relationship and I think that's exactly she's capturing there what we talk about when we talk about the shock absorber that you need the flexibility of the young the strength of the mature um, and together you can actually go forward Mm. yeah well as you said we're going to particularly touch on children's ministry and and the strategy of children's ministry but I thought you are the children's pastor here at Sorrel Mm -hmm. Church I thought do you want to just give us a really quick rundown of perhaps why uh, children's ministry is so important to you because it's not just you don't just work one day a week at church and kind of organize a few things around children's ministry mm. you practice that in your other job as well in youth works you research it in a great deal um, and I know that intergenerational ministry and how children's ministry is part of that is really important to you so I'd really love to hear that first if I mean we've probably gone over it previously in some other podcast episodes but it'd be cool to hear just the quick one minute, two minute version of why you enjoy it so much. Yeah. And you chose it. It's a career really. I mean, yes, it, it is. It's definitely a vocation. Like this is, mm. you know, I, unless God says otherwise, I'd love to be doing children's ministry for however long I've got left. Another 45 years, statistically speaking. Um, <laughs> well, you've planned so, it out that far. Well, I haven't planned it out. I just kind of know the <laughs> rough average of an adult male in Australia. Um, but yeah, I mean, from my own, yeah, you know, I guess biography. Like, we, I don't know where necessarily that's come from. Other than, I had really great experiences in children's ministry. Mm. Really valued um, both churches that I experienced children's ministry in. Was able to lead children's ministry from fairly early on, um, and so just really enjoyed it from that perspective. And through that, as I've grown in children's ministry and and my leadership of it, and you know, gone from a volunteer leader as a teenager through to you know, helping run churches and now advising churches, mm. just further and further convicted on that children can and do have faith and the purpose of children's ministry is to grow them in that faith. Yeah. Um, and so I talk about faith is, um, it's, it's head, heart, hands. So it's the stuff that we know about Jesus. Um, it's the way that we love and express that love and relationship we have with Jesus and it's our obedience to Jesus. So I short phrase is uh, we want kids to grow in their knowledge, love and obedience to King Jesus. So that's what I think children's ministry mm. is. And so that's why we want to keep working at really excellent children's ministry um, <laughs> and working at how do we do that really, really well. And so, yeah, it's a great joy that I get to spend most of my week helping others think through that in their churches um, and they get to play around with that at Soul Revival for yeah. a day a week. Get to enact that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually hang out with 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just going to ask one more question about that. Is it sometimes you hear about in multiple different t- churches, so I'm not trying to single anyone else, mm. anyone out here, but that almost like children's ministry or youth ministry is seen as, a, as a, almost like a stepping stone towards, you know, a senior minister or assistant minister role or something like that. What I wouldn't, I'd be interested because you said you want to do children's ministry um, for a very long time yeah. <laughs> up until. Are you saying that you're going to be ninety? Is that, what you, uh, well, is that what's the now. age? Okay. Eighty-five. Eighty-five. Is, okay, is roughly. Let's go ninety anyway. Okay. Oh, I've got fifty years. <laughs> <You wanted> to, <laughs> <laughs> um, just out of the whole five years. Yeah. <laughs> well, what would you? <laughs> what would you be your argument against that kind of approach to just seeing as a stepping stone? Because I think I, I I really like the way you approach and I really agree with it. But I think some people don't, and I'd love to hear why you think the way that you're approaching is probably, I mean, an ideal way. Mm. I think there's a number of factors, obviously, uh, as there always is. So it's a complex picture. Part of part of the structure of the, um, churches is you have to be a really large church. in order to afford a full-time children's minister. And so that means that someone who is convicted um, that they want to do vocational children's ministry, there's actually not that many jobs available uh, in many churches. So, Especially full-time, like you say. That's right, the full-time. And so if you want want someone who sees it as their full-time vocation and you want to equip them for that, and you want to give them a living wage so that they can afford a family and housing and food and, you know, whatever for their kids, and you actually want them to make their life out of it, uh, Just there's just not that many jobs where that exists. And so there just can't be many opportunities for people to do children's ministry long term. So there's, there's structural things there. Um, part of that is our choice of staffing, and this probably comes to... Um, our thinking about what are the ministries worth investing in. So there are most churches, uh, if they have a choice of um, putting on a new full-time pastor, uh, would put on another full-time congregational pastor or something like that in order to help minister to the adults in the church, split the adult ministry, relieve some sermon prep, you know, there's lots of things, and again, they're all very good and worthwhile things, um, but it does mean that children's ministry is often the last job in a church, uh, or if it is, it's, oh, we can afford a day a week, we can afford two days a week, we can afford, you know, whatever it is, but it's not enough for someone to say, okay, I'm going to consciously choose a two-and-a-half-day-a-week job and out of that support a family be a, you know, afford to live, you know, all those yeah. kind of things. So you either need to be married to someone who can, you know, pull in a much bigger pay packet um, or be young and single and not many dependents and not many expenses. And so that's why a lot, there are a lot of young children and youth ministers who by necessity have to grow up in ministry and take assistant ministry jobs or um, school teaching or, you know, other things yep. that compete with that um and so the yeah there's 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 structural things going on there's conscious choice um unfortunately i think there's a lot of people who value children's ministry as a utility not Mm. as intrinsically good so i got encouraged once and it it remains one of the most frustrating 
memories in my mind were <laughs> encouraged by um, uh, a minister who said, oh, it's great that you do excellent children's ministry because that brings families to the church. And mm. I was young at the time and I did, couldn't quite articulate it the way I could now. But when I look back, I think, oh, my, my frustration with that was they were devaluing the actual discipleship and faith of children. Mm. So I would come back now and say, actually, no, I want excellent children's ministry because children can and do have faith and it is worth investing in them and seeing their faith grow. Mm. Um, and if parents happen to enjoy that about a church and also come, then that's fine. Yes. But that's, that's not why I'm doing it. I'm not doing excellent children's ministry to attract families. And often behind that, the statement is actually you're attracting financial backers. And that's the other thing about children's and youth ministry. And um, I see this internationally with a, a number of friends that um, I interact with on social media and other places where, uh, sadly, it's because children and teenagers don't contribute to the financial running of a church, um, they're not invested in. So we invest in adult ministry because adults, if they become members, then give financially we can afford to keep doing ministry. And absolutely recognise that that's a realistic position for any place. I mean, you have to be able to afford ministry. Yeah. Um, but it does also mean that we don't... Uh, there are many places where children's and youth ministry is not invested in to the level that um, certainly someone who's passionate about it would <laughs> love to see. Yeah. And as it seems like a, that approach seems like a reasonably short-term approach as well. If it's only for financial... Well, it's, it's backed by fine thinking of like well, this will help financially. I don't think it's really helping, like you're saying, the children develop their own faith. No, because um, it would be very rare for someone to voice this out loud and say, yes. oh, I'm, I'm trying to do this because I'm making financial commitments. Um, right. But the reality is that that is what makes decisions and we make a lot of our decisions based on finances. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. It'd be very hard-pressed to find a minister um, who would say, I don't believe children can and do have faith. Yeah. Um, but enacted practice often yeah. looks like that we put that low on the priority listing. Yeah. Um, and it's fine if children's ministry is under-resourced. It's fine if children's ministry is a second thought. If it's over there, we don't really worry too much about it. As long as um, it's taken care of, I don't have to think about it. So um, now I'm painting a pretty bleak picture. There's really excellent ministries that I interact mm. with and mm. lots of really, really fantastic children's ministers who love their job, um, who do excellent ministry and there's lots of senior ministry staff that I interact with who also love and value kids. So, yeah. um, I don't think you're trying to be negative. I think you're because you're passionate about it and see it as really important, you're frustrated. You can be frustrated sometimes where other people don't, don't see the value yeah. in that as well. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, so let's talk, let's talk something more positive. <laughs> Strategy of children's ministry is something that we want to uh, chat about today. Um, you uh, brought up, just as we were kind of preparing for the episode, a, a kind of saying called uh, that said, metaphors shape your ministry. What, did, what does that mean? Because that comes from a book, right? It does. So there's a great book um, called Children Matter um, by Scotty May and others. Uh, there's about four authors on that one. Yeah. Um, but the book, uh, it, it's a really excellent textbook on children's ministry. So it thick as dense it's really well uh it's worth and we use it at youth works college all 390 the time. pages i just saw 390 pages mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's quite chunky um uh, accessible but 
deep. So I really like it as a textbook. Don't agree with all of it, but that's what a good textbook should be, right? Like right. You, um, but one of the things, this is the phrase, I think it's their first chapter actually, called Metaphors Shape Ministry. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the idea that what do we think of when we think of children's ministry um, and that will play out in the way that we think about the teacher in the room, uh, well, even the word teacher, what we think of the adults who are in the room, what do we think of the children who are in the room, what's their role in the space, um, and also what should the space look like, what should you be doing in your space, what should your time together look like, um, what should the energy be, what should the furniture be, what should the activities be. There's all of these things flow out of how do you, what kind of metaphor is your primary metaphor that you're using. So the examples um, that they use, there's there's five of which one I don't think I understand. So let's go with four. Um, <laughs> okay. The, the first one they talk about is the school model. So this is classic Sunday school. Um, that, And if you are coming in with children's ministry with a school metaphor, then what does that mean? Well, it means the adults in the room are teachers um, and the children are students. Um, it means you're going to really heavily lie um, – Sorry, go with educative type metaphors. So it's going to be quite cognitive. Very the head thing. Very head thing, yeah, yeah. Um, So you might be learning things by rote. It might be uh, let's learn the Ten Commandments by rote. Let's learn the fruit of the Spirit by rote. Let's do a lot of um, memory verses. Uh, I remember, I don't think you find anywhere now that does it, but um, go back a few decades and there used to be Sunday school exams so really you'd have, yeah you'd have tests at the end of a term or end of a s- session where you you know did you remember all the things you've learned so very much a schooling model right, yeah. um and so that plays out and i think there's a lot of children's ministries that even if they're not consciously doing this effectively that's what they see they, they think of the adults in the room as teachers they think of the young people as students it's very educative it's very cognitive um and so that's a fairly predominant metaphor that goes on um, the the next one they talk about is the gold star winner prize model, and so this is relies really heavily on external rewards. So it might be, and I grew up actually one of the churches I was at before Guymere. Um, I remember we had a star chart in the children's ministry, and you got gold stars. And because I was a pretty um, uh, learned student. learned student <laughs> and pretty. Um, <laughs> Uh, pretty self-directed. Um, I remember I got lots of gold stars. So it was for learning memory verses. I remember I, like I was in maybe year three or year four and I learned the Apostles' Creed and I learned the Lord's Prayer and all these kind of things because they were all worth gold stars. And so lots of extrinsic rewards. Um, and so what you're fostering then is um, not necessarily competitiveness, though there is a little bit of like you you want to achieve no one really loses uh, unless they don't do the memorization (laughs) (laughs) um but uh it's very extrinsically motivated totally totally yeah yeah and the strength of it is you can actually get good buy-in because kids are naturally competitive they actually want to achieve and so you tell kids hey you can get a freddo you can get a lolly if you learn the memory verse um if anyone can remember the the point of last week's talk you get a blah 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 um so it it ties into that natural childlike um competitiveness that they have and it's, so there's can be positives of that um the downside is you can actually start to breed um a 
sort of a self-righteousness or uh you know i can i can do this god stuff by my own strength so oh, okay. you either breed pride because they're doing really well they've got lots of gold stars and it's really awesome um or you breed shame because particularly kids who maybe can't they might have additional needs which means they can't just memorize versus they they find it hard to struggle in school um or whatever it is so you you breed pride or shame and then yeah also if i stop getting extrinsic awards what's going to happen so at some point You've probably had this with your kids, definitely had it with mine. Like when they were very young, we had little stamp charts or gold stars for can you put the pyjamas on by yourself? Can you brush your teeth? Can you eat your dinner? Like there are things that you're building extrinsic rewards, but you've got success is not getting the gold stars. Success is they get to a certain age and they think of, I've got to brush my teeth and they do it automatically by themselves. Mm. And that's kind of what we want for our kids. We want them to be memorizing verses or enjoying church or bringing friends or whatever it is not because they get a freddo but because they actually find it intrinsically motivated so you at some point you got to break that yeah um yeah makes a lot of sense because uh, i'm trying to think because i have three children and i would say my son who you know leo well you know all my children but <laughs> um leo is very intrinsically motivated so i don't know if we did that as much okay uh oh, but having said that uh, my youngest, Remy, who is two and a half, she just has started using the toilet and she was allowed to have a chocolate when she used the toilet because mm. she was able to do it, but she kept choosing. It was almost like choosing not to. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> we had to put a stop to that pretty quick because <laughs> she was having chocolate three or four times a day. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't appropriate. I did it again. Yeah, that's what it was like. I have chocolate. <laughs> that's what she was doing all the time. So, uh, yeah, I can, you, at some point, and I think like my middle daughter, who's quite extrinsic, extrinsically motivated to a certain degree as well. But, um, yeah, and it only goes so far, it feels like, until you take something on for yourself. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it won't be sustained long term. Um, if it's yeah. just extrin- extrinsically rewarded, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, so that's the gold star model. Um, the third model they talk about is the carnival model. Uh-huh. And this came... Partic- this sounds fun, by the way. Oh, totally, absolutely. <laughs> um, and you, it, it's a very sort of American 1990s kind of model in that where this thought came through that you should make your kids' program the best hour of a kid's week. Um, and so it'd be all about putting on as big an event as possible, um, really huge, big props, puppets, fun, loud songs, mm-hmm. dancing. Um, you know, you get to some of the la- very large churches in America that have massive budgets for their children's ministry department. Um, they talk about there's one church they know of that uh, has a, a full-size um, fire engine inside Whoa. their kids' department where the kids get to climb over and dress up as and ring the bell and like and, and that's the kind of thing like if you've got scale and you've got budget you can go nuts with this stuff and mm-hmm. it can look like yeah wonderland of enjoyment and fun and pop and the idea is again you're creating an experience for kids that they really enjoy coming to because mm-hmm. if they enjoy coming then you've got you've you've captured their attention and now you can tell them about jesus well it sounds very much linked to 
the kind of professionalism that we've been talking about in the last couple of episodes is like just put on the best thing that we can possibly do. Absolutely, yeah, mm. yeah. And if you think of what's the best thing from a child's point of view, <laughs> you're going to end up like something like Disneyland. And so <laughs> right. if that is what the best possible, without the cues. Um, so this is the best thing we can possibly do. Mm. And so it's, it's all about bright, it's all about fun. And so again, it does capture kids' attention and it is really exciting. And you could do something, if you had a right budget, that is the best hour of a kid's week, uh, which is awesome. Um, but again, there's significant shadows to that is uh, it's very hard and expensive to pull off. Yep. Uh, so it takes a huge amount of resources. I feel like it'd be exhausting to do it if you do it every week. Totally. <laughs> um, yeah, so it really high leader um, investment, yep. which potentially could lead to ben burnout and weariness. Um, and again, you're also fostering that this idea that church is all about me. And so you go from really high-energy children's ministry to probably something that looks like an incarnational youth ministry, so very youthy, very fun, lots of skateboards and band nights and pizza nights and all these kinds of things to keep trying to keep their attention. Um, and what you're training them in is I've got to keep your attention in order to tell you about Jesus rather than um, a relational idea, which we'll, we'll get to in a sec. But, um, yeah, so there's... And also the other thing is that life is not always fun and joyful. Mm. And if this is their experience of uh, church every week, is that it's big and it's bright and it's fun and it's enjoyable, then what about the kid who's sad? What about the kid who's had a really hard week? Um, is there possibility to lament with those kids and to actually say, yeah, life sucks sometimes? Um, we're doing revelation for our week away yeah. coming up um, and I'm thinking about the kids programming and one of the talks is um, about the four horsemen of the apocalypse which I don't think I'll go to the four horsemen necessarily <laughs> we did have a very funny discussion about bringing horses down and dressing them up um, but uh, but the, the point of that passage is that you um, revelation is all about unveiling um, and revealing what is actually going on behind the scenes. And the point of that chapter is actually behind the scenes, there are these forces of sickness and poverty and war and death that are impacting our lives. And we do experience those things. And so I'm, I'm trying to work out at the moment how to sit with the kids a week away and say, let's just recognise that life really sucks sometimes. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. And kids don't have to be very old to realise that life's not perfect. Um, they experience hardship. And so um, a, a carnival atmosphere doesn't really allow for those kind of moments, which is really deeply formative for kids. Yeah. Um, I mean, like even if a, a pet passes away or totally. something like that. They're, they're, I mean, uh, this is something that will obviously play out um, across this episode, but it's kind of like, you know, it, children experience things a little bit differently, but that's just because it's developmentally appropriate for their age. Yeah. So whatever is going on for them, if there's no opportunity for them to experience that, it's you're saying that it's almost like at church you only can be happy. Well, that's right. If you got you got a kid come up to uh, turn up to a kids program, and their um, their pet pet rabbit has just died. We had this a number of years ago. Um, a dog broke into our backyard and um, killed our bunny rabbits. Um, and there was a, the next afternoon when I actually told the kids about it because uh, they weren't there at the time. Zali just went and sat on the trampoline and I, after a while, went up to her and said, um, what are you, are you thinking? Do you need to talk about anything? She goes, no, 
I just need to sit here and be sad for a while. Yeah. And I'm like, that's cool. That's and appropriate. And this is another thing that we'll get out is that I love it how kids teach us stuff like that. Totally, yeah. But you say to that kid, imagine if Sally turns up the next day to kids program. To the fire engine. To, and the, yeah, and the leaders go, oh, your pet died. Come and dress up as a fireman. And get on the ladder. And, and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, where, where's the space in that? Like, yeah. And so if, yeah, yeah it, it, it's a, it's an a, sometimes appropriate but not comprehensive way of how we should be explaining. Mm. Um, and we talk about sober joy all the time as a church. And that's, you know, I guess the joy, right? But it doesn't, it misses the sober mm. to really have this carnival atmosphere. Mm. Um, and also, like, slowly long term, you know, church is not always the best hour of my week. You know, lots of other th- cool things happen in my week and sometimes church isn't awesome. Yeah. Um, but there's a discipline of going to church regardless of what I feel like. So, they, again, they're very extrinsically rewarded and we're trying to, there's a certain sense we're appropriate to build something else as the form, foundation of church. Of church, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. The fourth one? The fourth one is called the Pilgrim's Journey Model. And there's bits about this that I really like. Um, so the idea here, and again, part of these metaphors is how do you understand the adults in the room and how do you understand the children in the room? Mm. What I really like about this metaphor is that it um, breaks down the power dynamic between those two where we recognise that we are brothers and sisters in Christ together mm. and we're all just on this journey of faith. Um, and this is what I, what I really like about kids' program is I get to go in and I get to help children unpack the bible um but also that they'll teach me things so they'll be asking me questions or they'll be responding to answers and they'll be wondering about ideas it actually helps me to learn and to think and to wonder so there is a important aspect where i do want children's ministry um to not be i'm the teacher and i have all the answers so you just sit and listen to me but Let's wonder about this together. Let's explore this together. Um, because actually the point of this is not to focus on me, the teacher. It's to focus on Jesus, who is king. And so together we can wonder about king. Now, you take that to its conclusion and you actually lose all authority. And there are particular philosophies of children's ministry that will go all the way with this idea. And you lose any authority in the room and everyone is just a pilgrim together. Um, and I, I don't want to go all the way there. I think that God, you know, uh, Paul talks in Ephesians that God gives teachers, pastors, um, shepherds, etc., to the church. So there is an appropriateness to leadership. And so for me to neglect the fact that I am older, more mature, more studied, um, would be a neglect of my power and authority in that space. And so... Uh, I am a fellow pilgrim, but I'm not just a fellow pilgrim. I'm a more experienced pilgrim, perhaps, in some ways. Um, I like to think of the curator of a museum or an art gallery um, who's you know, maybe hosting a group and saying, hey, check out this <laughs> painting here. Yeah. And they've studied it. Like they might have a degree in art history. Um, and they know all about the artists and the time period. And they can tell you about the culture and why they use colours in that way and why this bit looks bright and bold and this bit looks dark. But the focus is on the... Um, painting and as the more experienced guide they can help the others um, experience Mm. and so but there's still a power imbalance in that it's appropriate that the guide has the authority and they've got the microphone and they're telling you about it Mm -hmm. Um, 
And they and someone in the crowd might go, oh, have you ever noticed that corner over there where there's that weird little thing going on? And the guy might go, oh, actually, I don't. No, I've never noticed that before. That's really interesting. I'm curious. I'm going to go study more about that. Um, and that's what can happen in kids' ministry. Yeah, kids, kids can ask questions. They go, I don't know. Never thought about that. That's awesome. Um, and I'm learning from them. So, yeah, so that, that that's the model. I've got some resonance with it, but I don't want to go all the way mm-hmm. with it. Um, and then the last one is they talk about dance with God. And that one, I don't think I really understand. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know what that means. Though. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. They, you don't either. Not really. <laughs> I don't know it well enough to explain it. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. I, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a little vague for, yeah. um, and maybe that's because I don't resonate with it at all. Mm. Um, but yeah, so anyway, the, these ideas that all these metaphors are shaping our ministry, and some conversations that I've had over the last uh, couple of weeks have been, well, what's our metaphor for ministry that shapes the way we do children's ministry here at Sorrow Revival? And it comes back to how we started this series, um, all about friendship. And I think that friendship um, uh, is the primary metaphor that we use across our church. And like those other metaphors, all of these implications flow from it in terms of how we consider the people in the room, the room set up, what we do with our actions. Um, so, yeah, that, that's our defining metaphor, I think, mm. as a church, is the, the friendship. So because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we've been reconciled back into relationship with friendship with God, um, and he then recon- co-reconciles us to each other, and so we are friends with each other. And so if people want to go back a number of episodes, there was three or four in a row where we mm. bounced around that idea of friendship. And the, especially around the uh, verse of John fifteen fifteen, where it yes. says that I call you my friend. Jesus says, I call you my friend. Yeah, you're no longer my servants, I call you friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. So if the primary metaphor around uh, our children's ministry strategy is friendship, what do you think that looks like? Because I think we talk a lot about intergenerational ministry on the Struggles Orbit as well, and that's another prim- that would be another primary metaphor, I think, for how we approach church. How does that fit in with our intergenerational strategy? And because I think there's a uh, talking to you and understanding how much you, because uh, you teach a subject on intergenerational mm. ministry at YouthWorks, how does that play out? Because I feel like, is there a way that churches do that differently in terms of their intergenerational strategy with children? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's lots of different ways to express intergenerationality. Um, and there's, a, there's also a lot of ways that churches think they might be doing intergenerationality, which often push back and go, ah, but is it really? Right. Um, and so one of the, the key ways that um, people talk about, that they say, oh, we're doing intergenerational ministry, is that they have kids in the service for you know, the first 15, 20 minutes. They might do a kid spot, they'll do some songs. The kids will participate in some of the liturgy. Um, and um, that... I mean, people were doing that long before the word intergenerational ministry came around. So it's, yeah. not, it's not a new idea, but people will often look at the way they do that and go, oh, look, we're being intergenerational. Um, and my um, gentle pushback would be, well, I'm not, it's not necessarily intergenerational. Um, and this is something my friend Chris Barnett in Melbourne has helped me think through. There's a difference between multi-generational and intergenerational. And his difference is... Um, and and he, he's bouncing off some ideas of 
the difference between multicultural and intercultural. So, um, which, yeah, so he's taken from a few different places. So, multi implies that you have different generations together in the same space. So, a number of, most churches would be multi-generational. You'd look around and you would see people of different generations all in the same place. Even if you had families. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got a family, there we go. Automatically, you've got two generations. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have a couple of seniors, you've got now a few generations. Mm. So there's, there's... Multiple generations. Yeah, you've got multiple generations and they happen um, to exist in the same space yep. as each other. Uh, and so that's multi-generational. And that's good. That's wonderful. Mm. Um, and there might be a whole lot of accidental benefits that you get from that. Um, but the reason I say accidental is because the, the shift from multi-generational to intergenerational, the key shift is you have put those generations together intentionally. Okay. Um, and so just because you've accidentally got different generations together um, is not intergenerational. Um, the inter comes from the intentional. <laughs> um, so, and that's really, really key. And... What happens there is that when you intentionally bring the generations together, uh, then you can start to form these relationships. Uh, and that's why the, I'm not sure which one's prior, the friendship or the intergenerational, maybe the friendship's prior, anyway. Um, but you're looking at intergenerational through the lens of friendship and that is that it's, it's all about the relationships that you're building together. Um, and what you're looking for in those friendships is you intentionally bring generations together and then they get to um, mutually co-contribute, um, big words, to that relationship. In other words, uh, it's not just a teacher teaching a student. Yep, like the school model. Like a school model, before. right? So if I go up to kids' program and I have in my head a school model, then I walk into the room expecting that I'm a teacher um, and that your son Leo is a student and we have a one-directional generational faith formation, whereas I can help him read the Bible better, I can help him understand the story and the narrative of Scripture better. Remember the Ten Commandments Remember better. the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. I, I can even help him with holistic faith. You know, I can help him to um, learn how to pray and I can teach him um, how to serve and give him opportunities to serve. So there's lots of things that I can help him do in that traditional model, but it's because it's one-directional um, and because I think of myself as a teacher and him as a student, uh, I don't expect to learn anything from him. So a teacher metaphor, I uh, think about a school teacher, a school teacher is teaching primary school kids how to do maths. They don't expect to learn any maths from the student because they're the expert and they're just passing it down to the next generation. Would that apply also to the, from the child's perspective as well? Totally, yeah. So part of, and I'm not sure how to measure this, but... I would hope um, in some way that the the young crew at our church know that I'm expecting to learn from them. Mm. Um, now, I could pro- that's probably one thing I could probably articulate more. Um, but we're, and, and I, I suppose I try, try and communicate that when, you know, Leo comes up and tells me that he's, what he's been reading in the Bible this week. <laughs> and I go, that's awesome. What have you been learning? Tell me about it. What, did, you know, what have you found out? And I'm just, I want him to communicate to me and I, I want to show excitement and wonder and you know, joy at the fact that he's sharing these things with me. Mm. Um, so that would be one way, I guess, that, that would explain it. Often his question will 
um, you know, because we're talking about my son, he will usually go, why did they write it like this? Yeah. <laughs> like, rather than actually what does it mean sometimes. But yeah, totally. Yeah. Which is a great question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because then I suppose it does lead to, well, it was written in a different language and it was written in a different time and all that kind of thing. But yeah, it's still you have lots of conversations. God's overarching, you know, the biblical theology thing of the whole overarching story of the whole Bible. So you could, yeah, okay. That yeah. makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so how does friendship change that? So friendship changes that model. When I walk in to kids' program, um, I'm expecting to be friends with them there. Uh, I'm an older friend, absolutely. Uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago, I think, about the that old friendship versus leader um, mm. dynamic. And you know, seeing myself as, as an older friend, but also as an older brother, um, there's, uh, there's a family relationship where I, I do have more experience, I am more mature, I, um, I am older, and so I can lead and guide them in a way that they can't. But there is a little bit of that pilgrim idea of we're actually – you reduce the amount of gap between the mature and the immature because you do expect that they, you can learn from them um, and your friends together, mm. which means you, you want to enjoy the time. You do want to. And so like the, a little bit of the carnival model, we do want to have fun. Like I do want to enjoy the time we have together. We want to sing songs that they enjoy and play games and let them have choices and those sorts of things. Um, but the friendship's really key. And this is the other corrective to oh, we, we bring the kids into our service uh, in order to express intergenerationality. Okay, because some churches do do that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll have kids in the service for the first 20 minutes and, and now we're intergenerational. <coughs> um, and I would say, well, maybe, but again, maybe not because uh, just because you and I, Joel, are two pews away from each other in church, the church gathering itself is not trying to create relationships between the participants um yeah we, we're all in pews we're facing the front we're learning from the person at the front um it's not uh necessarily helping us to become better friends together just because we're in the same room listening to the same thing it might give us food uh in terms of like it might give us something to talk about afterwards um and if we do hang around for dinner or for coffee or whatever it is after the gathering we can think about oh well, you were there you heard this i heard this oh well, don't you love that song i really like that song but this it gives us content that might foster a relationship later but in itself the gathering is not fostering intergenerational relationships and that's why um one of the reasons why we don't um, prioritize children coming into our gathering um, as an expression of intergenerational ministry, uh, we actually do the reverse. We have kids in their space and we drip feed safe adults into their ministry through our CHILL program. So a CHILL leader is a, an adult who's not responsible for teaching. Um, they just come in as a friend of the kids. And my uh, utopian gold standard is that every safe adult would be a CHILL leader. Yeah, okay. Um, because I'd love for all the kids to know all the adults in our church and vice versa. Um, but they're not going to get to know that by being in a room of 100 people and just happen to be singing the same songs with each other. They, that will happen if a small number of adults uh, come into the kids' program and uh, sit beside the kids as they're learning, perhaps, uh, pray with the kids, play you know with the kids, kick a soccer ball around, play with Play-Doh, build trains, like all the things that cheerleaders do, which is just being friends. Um, and it's also really lovely that it's the kids' space. So the kids are almost like the host of that space yeah, and the adults are. become the guests. I really yeah. like that dynamic yeah. as well. Mm. I don't think, but also it shows, it gives those children agency 
and allows and them being the host allows it's almost like flipping that school model mm. to a certain degree is that allowing we're coming to your space you teach us in a sense but you're not like there's not a formal cognitive teaching idea that you're saying but it it's almost i remember the last kids chill that i did um there's a very much a, a strong contingent of boys who love playing with the trains and i was um leading with one of our friends peter and he was just we just actually just sat down and said what do you guys want to play and they said well with trains and then some of the girls got some different things out but then they just went went at themselves but then as they felt comfortable that we were in their playing space then they started to welcome us into the game or say, oh, can you help me with this or those kind of things. And that's, and I only think, I only think that way because my mum has spent a lot of time in early childhood. Mm. Like a, a huge part, portion of her career has been in early childhood. So it's fun to just allow that to happen, I think, too. And it's exciting to see that we're doing that within a context of church, but also in the context of our relationship that Jesus has reconciled for us. So um, it makes a lot of sense. Not sure where I'm going with that, but no, uh, right. just just as an example of like the difference between let's just have children in the service and said let's have children have their own particular time. They have their own teaching time as well. They which do, they don't which again because they are developmentally younger mm-hmm. than adults, yeah. and so we do want them to grow in their knowledge of Jesus. We do mm-hmm. want them to grow in age appropriate worship and relational capacity with Jesus Mm. and so it is appropriate that they have peer time where we can talk to five-year-olds as five-year-olds and 10-year-olds as 10-year-olds and when you get to teenagers 15-year-olds as 15-year-olds for the youth group so that's absolutely appropriate that you have those breakout spaces and most churches I know would have separate teaching times even if they came in the kids came in for the first half of the sermon uh, sorry of the service they would nearly all head out where the adults had a adult peer language sermon <laughs> and the kids would have peer languaged teaching T- teaching time yeah. yeah yeah and but it also and if someone came to our church or and you came to our church for a, a short period of time we also do have those times where children come into the service we do now, yes and so, so what's the difference between those two yeah and why why do we do that yeah so that's a great question so why not just do this all the time why ever <laughs> yeah. have kids in so uh what the Another thing that's great about having kids in the service, and a lot of my um, colleagues and peers are doing this with their churches, um, is that it's it's really it really is faith formative for kids. So um, it it sounds a little bit too uh, social science, but we're <laughs> we're socialising kids into the community, um, which is exactly what we want to do. We want kids to get to know what does it mean to sit in a service? What does it mean to sing songs, to learn some liturgy, to learn some prayers? What does it look like as a six-year-old as you look around and you see all these other people um, who just are rejoicing when they say the Apostles' Creed and you can see the smile on their face and they say, yeah, I really do believe this is great. They go, oh, they really believe this is cool. Mm. Um, And they're looking around and they've got their eyes open during prayer and they're looking at all the people (laughs) with their eyes closed and going, that's weird, but okay, (laughs) I guess that's what you do. Um, And they learn to sing the songs and so there's lots of great things that can happen when you put children in the service. Um, And you're also helping them to express uh, the elements of the service too. Like my kids were pretty young when they enjoyed knowing what the lyrics of the songs were um, and being able to sing along to yep, the songs. Mine too. Yeah. yeah. Um, they really enjoy that. 
and that's wonderful. Um, and there's also the opportunity for young people to participate in the leading of the service. So at a few of our gatherings, we'll have young people reading the Bible yes. um, or might be singing in the band or you know, whatever it is. So there is re- good benefits that happen there. And at our church, there are a number of times during the year where we do that. So um, all of January, we don't run kids' program. We just have kids in the service. So that is an all-in-all stage all the time, um, all-age, all-stage, all the time. Um, <laughs> We have our Easter weekend, both our Good Friday and our Resurrection Sunday services. Uh, everyone together. There's no separate kids program. Everyone's um, together. One at church, one down in the park. Um, at our week away, which we're coming up to soon, we start every morning with, uh, similar to what many of my friends are doing every week, which is the kids are in for the first 20 minutes. They're part of the songs. They hear the community announcements. We play a video, um, which is often just silly and joyful <laughs> and sometimes relates to the talk, but not often. Um, and so that's really fun. Um, and then the kids go out and do their kids' program time while the adults do their time. Um, what else? Oh, Christmas. So Christmas Eve and Christmas Day are the same that the kids are in. Um, so there, there's a number of punctuations throughout the year where we do do that and then we also on Friday night because we have a gathering on Friday night which is directly after kids club um, everyone from year five to however uh, is in that service year, every year week. Year 10. Well year 10 and, and then yeah. their families and their leaders and and the difference between Friday night and our other gatherings is when you and I go to a Friday night gathering we are generationally outnumbered. Yes So that's true. It, it, it's majority year five to year 10 crew plus some of their families, plus their leaders. Um, and so, but most of the room is teenagers or preteen. Um, and that's wonderful, really joyful. And I've had a number of parents who um, have kind of said to me in a little whisper, oh, I really enjoy the Friday service because it's just got heaps of energy. And I, we don't get that in some of the other services. And I'm like, no, you definitely don't get some of that energy in some of the other services. Bring the energy, Bring man. the energy. So, um, and that's, that's really fun. Mm. So whereas if kids come to our other gatherings... Um, they will be generationally outnumbered. So they will be in the minority. As you look around, you see a lot of um, you know, millennials, middle-agers, senior saints in most of our other gatherings. Um, so, yeah, there are lots of times. So weekly on a Friday, um, all kids, and again, a lot of younger siblings can, will sometimes come as well because they're picking up an older sibling or dropping off an older sibling for youth group and they'll stick around for a gathering. So everyone is welcome on that Friday and they could all be there every week. And then for our two Saturday nights, two Sunday mornings and one Sunday night congregation, um, they have separate kids' chill programs that are running at the same time but in a different space to church. What do you think? So we're talking about Friday night there, which is starts with Fuse, which is year five and year six. We have a um, gathering in the middle followed by dinner. Uh, dinner first. Dinner first, gathering. sorry. D- yep. Dinner first, then the gathering. Then uh, youth group happens after that. Yep. I know a long, quite a while ago on the Sugar's Hobby you talked about this, but I want to kind of reiterate that. What's the benefit of having, even though we say we're intergenerational church, what's the benefit of having age-specific or age, uh, especially in the youth, especially in the younger generations, what's the benefit of having specifically designed spaces for their ages? Mm. Yeah, so the, some models will say let's eliminate all age-based programs. Uh, so there's the one really key 
youth ministry um, theorist um, expert called Malin Nell, uh, who's in South Africa. Uh, and so he wrote a chapter in a book called Four Views of Youth Ministry, which uh, was called Inclusive Congregationalism. And his argument was largely don't do any peer programming. Um, young people should always be all in all the time. Uh, so there is uh, a trend, uh, well, not a trend, there's a particular ministry philosophy that says this is the best way to do church. Um, we've looked at that and we've gone, I oh, we can see the benefits of that and then we do have opportunities where we are all in all the time. Uh, but there are also good arguments for, um, particularly at younger developmental stages, to be able to express the gospel, to be able to teach the gospel, to be able to um, get kids to express faith in age-appropriate ways. Um, and we all instinctively know that a three-year-old is different to an eight-year-old, um, who's different to a 12-year-old. Um, there's different words they can understand, concepts they can arrive at, there's different things that capture their attention, um, there's different ways that they're going to express faith. Uh, a three-year-old expressing prayer is going to look different to an eight-year-old expressing prayer and different mm. to a 15-year-old expressing prayer. So giving them space when they can do that in amongst peers uh, is really, really helpful. And I don't think it stops with youth either. There are, you know, as, as young dads who uh, have kids, and my kids are a bit older than yours, but... Mm, but thank you for calling me young. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I was calling myself young. <laughs> um, I've got more time than you to get to 90. You do, that's right. Um, there's a, a great opportunity for when, when dads hang out together and yeah. think about dadding. Yep. Um, and it's great when uh, you know, young adults hang out together and think about young adulting. Um, and it's great when senior saints get to hang out and do senior saint conversations because they're all a particular life stage. Uh, my parents have just moved into a retirement village up the road here. And one of the reasons they moved there rather than sort of just buying a unit in South Village or somewhere else was they actually wanted the automatic community that comes with a whole lot of people who are at that stage of life. Um, and so there's great joy there. Um, and so there is great value in hanging out with peers and definitely from a faith formative perspective for young people to hang out with peers and to be interacted with by their leaders in age appropriate ways. Absolutely. There's really great value in that. Um, so we create those spaces. We have kids programs. We have kids club on Friday for year five and sixes. We have youth group. Um, and we have other ministries mm. as well that go on. So that's really valuable. Um, what an intergenerational model and a number of theologies and theories that intersect with that is that uh, it's not enough. That God's actually made us to have intergenerational discipleship. And so um, it's, it's great for... Well, and this is the difference between you and I. Like my kids are now in high school. Yeah. So it's great for you to hang out with other dads whose kids are all in primary school together and you can um, celebrate and commiserate over the joys and challenges <laughs> yep. of having kids in preschool. But then there's real value for us hanging out together because my kids are five years older um, and you can say, hey, Tim, did you go through this with your yeah. kids? I'm like, oh, man, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we went through that. Here's some ways we dealt with it. Oh, that's really cool. Um, and then I can, you know, with teenage kids, I can talk to those who have got, you know, recently empty nesters 
and say, oh, man, tell me this teenager gets better because, you know, it's really hard. Or, oh, how good is it when you notice your teenager achieve these skills and grow in these competencies? And the empty nesters can say, oh, yeah, that's such a joy, isn't it? Yeah, I remember when my kids were that age. And, and they encourage me like that. And you talk to grandparents and you say, what was it like for you to parent, you know, a whole generation and a half ago? And they can share and they can talk about things. So um, we're, we're designed to be intergenerational we're designed to have intergenerational discipleship and there's a whole lot of value with hanging out with those who are older and more experienced with us and also learning from those who are younger than us and so that that mutual both way um collaboration in relationships is really really Mm. key as well can you talk also about the we've said a number of times before that meals are very integral how we do church here at sorrow bible uh, we have a, a meal at every one of our gatherings. From a children's pastor's perspective, how does that fit into the, the children's ministry strategy? Yeah. So meals create the space where we can keep fostering the relationships and the friendships that we're developing. Um, and so what we find is that there's a number of kids, most kids will just kind of gravitate to their own peers and have dinner together um, but we also notice that because there's a significant number of adults who they've spent time with in chill that they'll also talk to them as well and they actually genuinely see those people as friends and so it's it's not just here's the kids table kids you sit over there um, there is no kids table all the tables are exactly the same size <laughs> well that's not true all the tables are all over the place and they're all different sizes well, that's a lot true. of the time yes. yeah it's a bit of a mixed bag <laughs> but yes there's not a there's not okay not a, kids not you're a, over there yeah there's not a adults you're over there yeah there's not a designated space and um and so what that means is that kids are freely moving through all of those other relationships and can stop so you weren't on chill this week um but marlo walks past you and he goes, oh, Joel, we, you, we played trains last week. And you go, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Did you get to play trains this week? Who was playing trains with you this week? And just get that little conversation with a preschool kid. Um, and so that's really exciting. Um, and so it, it, it creates the space. And we've talked about this um, oh, many seasons ago now. But that meals, again, aren't inherently intergenerational because people can choose to sit with people who are just like themselves. But it creates the opportunity and it creates the space which facilitates the possibilities. So what you need is you need enough regulars who have bought into the idea that this is a space where I can hang out with people who are unlike me, who are then looking around and maybe intentionally going to sit next to those who might find that a little bit harder. Um, So, you know, adolescence, hard, difficult, lots of emotions going on. You know, it might be a bit hard to find relationships and you feel safe with those who are just like yourself but if you just have two or three older adults who are confident enough in themselves to go sit where all the adults the adolescents are hanging out and just go hey guys how you doing tell us about high school this week what's going on um and can have that conversation it's going to be weird sometimes they're going to go oh who's this person this is old man (laughs) come talk to me um but just to not be weird about it but just to enjoy and and slowly start to break down um so it's about creating the space. And so um, what I often say to um, children's leaders, and this was particularly my Sunday morning children's ministry when I was trying to build that team for the first time, and they're on chill leadership uh, once a month. 
Uh, and what I kept saying to them is, you're only rostered onto chill once a month. You're the kids' friends every week. Yep. And so if, if I see you at church every week, we always at least give a smile and say good day. Yeah. And if there aren't other relationships going on, we might slow down and have more of a conversation. And I want everyone to see the kids in the same way. Um, it might just be they run past you on the way to the games table and you just get to scream out, hey, Aiden, how you going? Good, thanks. And off he's gone, right? That might be it. That might be all you get. Um, or it might be that actually I go and sit at the games table and I say, hey, guys, how you going? Like, oh, yeah, no, 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 I don't want to turn. You guys keep playing. But as you're playing, let's just chat about life. Um, and we've got the time and the space to do that. Yeah. Mm. And you know, it feels like that's what the meals allows. Most. It's the, uh, as you're saying, the opportunity and the space to be able to further like deepen relationships with anyone of any age, really. But it also applies to our children and youth in the same, in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Can you think of one time, what's one time that sticks in your mind where maybe unexpectedly um, one of our younger people taught you something? Because you're talking about that as an example of how we shouldn't we can learn from the younger generations is there can you can you pinpoint a time where you, you really well that's i mean just my very fallible memory <laughs> um, <laughs> um i mean I, I love it when kids ask questions uh because right. that particularly ones i don't know the answer to mm. because then they then get a good sense that we're doing this together. We're learning this together. Yeah, it shows you're on the same level trying yeah, to work right. it out. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, I, I want to be a good older friend. I want to be a good big brother um, to them. Uh, and part of that is helping them see that there are things that I have thought about and know about um, that they can come talk to me about. And that's I want that for them. Um, I don't want them to have this sort of, you know... Um, Tim on a pedestal is the expert kind of view. Um, I want them to realise that I'm still learning, I'm still growing. There's things I don't know. Um, and I also want them to wonder. Uh, and this is what um, is really joyful is when you, you, you get questions, you pose questions. I love trying to, f I'm not very good at it, but I try and find a question we can ask of the Bible that the Bible doesn't actually answer. Okay. Um, because then you can just wonder together. <laughs> And there's no necessarily right or wrong answer. It's just, what do you know? Mm. Um, someone who's very good at this was a, a colleague who used to work with Emma. Um, and I listened to her give a talk once at a conference and she was talking to all these primary school kids and she was telling the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and, and had sort of told the narrative. And then she asked, I wonder what they talked about, Adam and Eve, when they were <laughs> hanging out in the garden. Yeah. And it was a great question because there's no right or wrong answer. We don't know. There's just... We don't even know how long they were hanging out in the garden for. Um, was it days, weeks, months, years? Who knows? Um, but the the responses that came from the kids just thought they were in the story. Engaged. They were engaged. They were thinking. And I mean, one kid could talk, oh, they were talking about Grand Theft Auto. And you say, well, that's that's not obviously a wrong answer. Because it didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't exist. So there's probably some wrong answers. But there's a whole lot of possibly right answers um which is really joyful yeah and i don't know i'm just trying to think there's one kid i had a conversation with a few um i might have been last year sometime we were just we were praying for each other and um he asked me to to pray for him at school uh and i said oh what what's going on there and he just goes oh i just don't like school 
And I was like, oh, is it like the subjects are hard or dance teachers or you're having friend issues? Like, is there something going on? And he just goes, oh, I just get in trouble all the time. And I thought, yeah, I can see that. Like, it's kind of, you know, I can see that, you know, your personality, your behaviour would get you in trouble all the time. Um, and what I'm learning through that is, like, he's sharing his life with me. So I'm learning from him the things that he values, the things that are on his mind. I get to sit with him in that. I get to pray for him. But then also then um, it reciprocates in the way that I think about, okay, well, how am I running kids' program? Mm. Am I running kids' program in a way that he's going to get in trouble all the time? Um, or am I running kids' program in a way that he can, you know, participate? Not with chaos, like no one benefits from chaos, but um, from being able to participate in that space um, and grow in that space and for me to create a space where he can be friends and express friendship and because we're both reconciled to Jesus, we can be reconciled to each other. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I mean, because I was going to ask you, well, but the first thing I was going to say is that when you're saying we're working this out together, I think it also models humility, humility to the kids and saying that, well, we don't know, we don't know everything, but like God does. So let's work this out together. So I yeah, like yeah. that. My last question, I think you kind of touched on it just at the end of your last answer there, was if someone's listening to this and they think, this sounds all great, but it sounds like a lot of work. Like we've spoken about how you have studied this for a very long time and is you're very passionate about it. But we've also talked about in the last, I don't know, five or six episodes about gospel opportunities as well. What would you say are the main benefits of approaching children's ministry with this particular strategic approach? I think there's a good way to wrap up the episode. Yeah, what are the benefits? That's great. Um, the There's a lot, number of long-term benefits um, and we've, we've talked before on the podcast about um, there, there's an important study that comes out of Fuller Youth Institute in um, LA that the they study young adults who have grown up in church and they investigate what's the difference between those who are still following Jesus and those who are not following Jesus. And the most statistically significant difference between those two was that those who are still following Jesus could identify five or more um, adults who were intentionally engaged with them and they knew them Mm -hmm. by name and cared about them in church. Um, And those who were no longer following Jesus couldn't. And so I'm pretty sure it's not parents. So at least, so five adults, not your parents, yep. in addition to your parents, who you knew cared for you at church. And so this comes to uh, the writers talk about Chuck Clark, um, Cara Powell, talk about, we often think about a five to one ratio in that if you have one leader for every five kids, you're doing pretty good with ministry ratios. And they say, no, no, we've got to flip that. We've got to try and have five adults invested in every kid so that every kid at church can look around and they can identify five adults who are investing with them. So what the benefit of this model is, is we're actually trying to create those opportunities. Not really structured, like we haven't told Leo, here's your five adults. Um, But if you ask Leo, hey, are there adults who care about you at church? Who are the safe people at church that you could go to if you were ever worried? Um, I hope, I think that he'd be able to list, list off at least five people. Because they're people who have spent time with him, who have built relationship with him, who have played you know with him, that have, you know, whatever it is, they've, they've engaged in relationship with Leo in safe and appropriate ways. Um, and so, he, so all the kids, I hope, at our church could look around and say, we have a whole family of 
teenagers, adults, senior saints here, some who are like grandparents, some who are like uncles and aunties, some who are like parents, some who are like older brothers and sisters, who know me by name, who care about me, who have spent time with me, and love me because they were first loved by Jesus. Yes. Um, and they might not be able to articulate it in those words, but that's what I'm hoping for for every mm. kid. Um, what are the other benefits? Um, personally, a benefit is I'm really terrible at craft. <laughs> um, I never have to think about craft because it's just it's not a priority. The relationship is a priority. So we, you can do craft to get to a relationship, but it's not important to me that we have a craft that matches the teaching time because then you've got to take home to talk to the parents about it. And like, again, lots of cool things about that. It doesn't suit my ministry style, and so... I don't have to spend a lot of time. And I've got, again, peers in ministry who just spend a whole day cutting out this thing and then sourcing candles for this and buying paints and setting up. And it's like, I mean, first I don't have time, I only have one day a week. Um, but also my team doesn't have to... If People enjoy craft, and we've got Tracy McCall. Oh, she, legend. Legend. Um, <laughs> living legend. She needs to write a book. Craft legend. Yeah. Um, and she's awesome. And the kids love it when Tracy's on chill because they're like, yes, it's craft time. <laughs> um, you know? But likewise, they love it when um, Paul Tate is on chill because, yes, it's go outside and play basketball time. Mm. Like everyone brings their own little thing and they get to share a little bit of themselves with the kids. Um, but, yeah, it's a different kind of preparation time. It's a different kind of how I spend my time in ministry. Um, and so that's really beneficial as well. Mm. I think that's a really good way to end, I think. Focusing on the benefits and the long-term um, faith opportunities, mm. I think, is really exciting. So yep. thank you for your ministry. Tim. Pleasure. It's a joy. And your passion. So <laughs> I really, really, um, really value that. Uh, if you are uh, still interested in talking about children's ministry, you can get in contact with us via joel at shockazorba.com.au. Send me an email and we can get... Uh, if you want to challenge us on any kind of intergenerational or children's ministry strategy ideas, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got anything else that you'd like us to talk about, you can still email me. Email me. Email me. You can email you. Email me. Right. <laughs> email Joel. Um, but uh, that will wrap us up for this episode. Thank you very much, Tim. Uh, thank you to Ek, our producer, who always puts these podcasts together for us. Thank you to Stu, who wasn't able to be here, but uh, still enables us to think about these things. Mm. And as always, uh, we'll finish this episode with a one way. One way. One way. One way.